0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Steve Vickers in Christian Life Church in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com. been talking about, getting right into the message here, about living in the right direction. We started a series last week called Living in the Right Direction, we said that life is always moving, we're always moving in life, we're going a direction. The key is, are we going the right direction? In life, you can wind up, you can start going a direction, only to find out later, I was headed in the wrong direction. And you know, of course, ultimately, too... The Bible says there's an, a day that our life is over. There's a day appointed to every one of us when life ends. And then our life is going to be the sum total of the direction we went. And hopefully we went the right direction. And it's so serious that it's not something we should take lightly or just say, well, I'll just think about it when I get there. Uh, That's like heading on a trip, and you go to the plane, and you just get on any plane, and you say, I'm going to so-and-so, but I'll worry about where I'm supposed to be when I get there. Well, the trouble is you could wind up halfway around the world from where you're supposed to be. And that's one thing, because you can always come back. But at the end of life, you want to make sure you're headed in the right direction and arrive at the right destination. Amen? Amen. Pastor Brian was talking about how that God, he used in the Scripture where God said, I set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. And he said, but I encourage you, I tell you, I counsel you to choose life. In other words, you're going to make a choice of the direction you're going in life. You and I right now, no matter who you are, where you are, each one of us, we are at a place that is because of the direction that we went. And our direction was determined by our choices. And we make choices just like when you're, you're going on a trip. If you turn right, you go one direction. You turn left, you go a different direction. You drive north, you head one way. You drive south, you head another way. And where you arrive is determined by the direction you're headed. But also, you know, in your direction that you're going, in the journey that you're taking in life. And life is a journey. It is never still. It is never, you know, at a static place. It is always dynamic, moving. It's always in flux, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's always changing. There's always nuances of change taking place. While you and I are sitting here, great change, if you and I could see microscopically into our bodies we would see it would seem like rush hour you know in New York City or something uh, or the traffic on the 405 in LA which is unbelievable uh, but because there there's all kinds of change taking place in your body even as you sit there perhaps relaxed and trying not to go to sleep even while you sleep your body's going through a lot of change so change is always there. We're always moving. There's always something taking place. And, and it's never a moment where we think, oh, I wish life could just stop for a moment, just be still, and let's get settled. And, and Denise is always saying, can't we just kind of settle? And uh, I say, well, yeah. But you know what? There's a sense of life where you're never there. All right? Even when you, you, re, you settle and retire, things are changing. All right? <clears throat> so it's vitally important that we understand some principles of life that God has given us in order that we would direct our life in the right direction. Your life should not be going in a direction determined by your circumstances. It should not be going in a direction determined by others. You know, one thing that I always remind myself of when a lot of circumstances were taking place suddenly around me, and, and we seem to walk into these whirlwinds every once in a while, don't we? You know, we don't live in them, hopefully. But every once in a while, we just kind of walk into it, and man, it's like everywhere we turn, something is going on. You know, it's like, oh, goodness. You know, it's, uh, it's like trying to take a nap in the middle of the Indianapolis Speedway during race time. When you're there on the, on the racetrack, you know, things are going on around you so rapidly. And, <clears throat> but when those things are happening, when I'm in those times, I remind myself continually that circumstances and people and other things outside of me are not in control of my life. And that ultimately God has given me responsibility, but also the power it 's a responsibility, yes, but it 's an authority it 's a power it 's an ability to for me to make choices in spite of everything that is going on to me to, for me to make the right choice and if everything 's going wrong, I can still make a right choice. if everything 's going wrong, I can choose to go right. if everyone 's going wrong, I can choose to go right, and so we need to remember those things at all times now. We, the, where there are some principles that we, I want, we are talking to you or teaching you about regarding to the, of what it takes to make sure your life is living in the right direction. And last week we talked about your, the right purpose. The right purpose. And we said that you have to have the right purpose. And that you determine that without purpose, if you have no purpose in your life, Someone will give you a purpose because nature requires that everything have a purpose. Nature destroys anything that is purposeless. It will, nature will not allow it. The universe will not allow it. The universe does not allow voids. It fills them. It, it tends to run towards them and to, and to take up those voids. And so our life cannot be purposeless or void, empty, vain, having no reason for being here. And we talked about, you know, about purpose, but we ended it by saying this. We said that the greatest purpose are the, what we would say would be the starting block or the engine, if you will, that should drive your purpose is the love of God. And that if we live, if we make love, now that's Ultimately, of course, it's not all the purpose of your But if you make love the cornerstone of your life and in every decision and every the purpose of your life that I'm going to do this because of love, I'm going to act out of love. I'm going to react out of love. I'm going to live my life out of not of human love or fleshly love, but of the love of God. Then we said, if you do that, you've got the right cornerstone to head in a right purpose because we read the scripture where it says love Never fails. And so if you have love as the cornerstone, the initiating, the starting block, the engine of your purpose, if it is the love of God, you're not going to go wrong. You're going to be right. Your purpose will be right. And if you will give yourself to that, love will generate, love will create, love will dis, dis, uh Cause a purpose to arise within you that becomes a driving force in your life, that gives you a reason to go forward. All right? Now, today I want to talk about something else, and that is the right passion. The right passion. Everybody say that with me, please. The right passion. Okay, we got to have the right purpose, but we got to have the right passion. Passion is a compelling desire. Compelling desire. Don't get me wrong when I say this, but I'm concerned about some directions our country is going, especially when we try to provide so much for people. I've been in countries, if you could have gone to uh, Russia after the Berlin Wall came down, you would have been amazed at the people there. They had no driving ambition. They did not understand creativity, ambition, purpose, uh, what we're talking about here. And the reason was because the state provided everything. There was no reason for you to excel at a job because whether you excelled or whether you did poorly, it was all the same. Everyone, no one was rewarded for productivity, no one was rewarded for ingenuity, no one was rewarded for going the extra mile. As a matter of fact, you were punished for doing more. So what did everybody do? Everybody tended to go to the least possible. They gave the least amount of effort, the least amount of anything. And you would see, it would take huge forces of people to do a simple little, produce a simple little thing, because no one cared. Their infrastructure became horrible, and it still is in a horrendous uh, situation. It's, and that's why they're having so much problems economically, because even though they've allowed democracy to come in, the people have no idea, and have no... Spirit for free enterprise. Why should I invent something? Why should I create something? Why should I do it? So what's happened is you've got a few people that have seized the moment and become extremely wealthy. It's producing a lot of billionaires But the middle class is not being produced. Take China, on the other hand. China is still a communist or socialist country. But what they've done is they said, we're going to introduce a free market system into our economy. And so they're beginning to do that. And there is a middle class arising because in China, you're getting rewarded. If you do, if you excel, you get rewarded. If you produce poorly, you don't get rewarded. And so all of a sudden, people are trying, and the cream should always rise at to the top. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. We should not want to pull everybody down to the lowest level. We should want people to rise up. Listen, if somebody rises above you, you should rejoice because the natural state of, of life is this. When someone rises, they pull others up. No one could, no one could run a four-minute mile, and I forget the guy's name, but until that uh, English uh, fellow broke the four minute mile and did you know the year he broke it they said it was before he broke it they said it was physically impossible for a human being to run fast enough to break a four minute mile the year he broke it four other people broke it why because he broke a barrier that others could come in never be jealous of people that rise bill gates didn't push down other people he pulled up a lot of people Steve Jobs didn't push down people. He pulled up a lot of people. When we're creative and we go after something, all right? And so we in America, I want to see America regain a passion for the right things, but we must become a people of passion. And who better than God's people to be a people of passion? Passion motivates us, it stirs us, it awakens us. Let's read a scripture in Ephesians chapter five. And I should have read this to begin with, but this is our theme scripture. It says in verse 15, I'm in the New Living Translation. You can see it on the screen there. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. That's good advice, isn't it? Oh, that's our theme verse four this series on living in the right direction. That's what I've built this series off of. But let's look at another verse of scripture here in Zechariah chapter 8. The prophet Zechariah, God speaks through him and listen to the words of the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. My love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong. Listen to the next phrase. I I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. God says, I am consumed with passion. And we're gonna talk about passion. Because God created you and I with the capacity for passion, it is there within us. Just as you're comp- uh, created with the capacity to think. And different things, God created us also with a capacity for passion. And without it, when we lose passion, we become listless and complacent. And I'd like to add, boring. Uh, Denise and I, through the years uh, in counseling couples on marriage, inevitably, sometime we would have a couple come in, And the wife would always be the one that would say why they were there. And she would say, there is no passion in our marriage. Now, she wasn't just speaking physically. She would just, she'd say, there is no passion. He used to flirt with me. He used to spend time with me. He used to bring me a gift when it was no reason at all. He used to whisper sweet nothings in my ear. He used to, uh, I could tell I was his, I had his heart and I meant the world to him. And she said, now we're just two people living in the same house that happen to have the same last name. And she said, he's very boring. And, of course, the guy is looking down at the floor, you know, and kind of uncomfortable there. And and I I asked the guy, or Denise would say, well, what do you have to say? And he'd say, I suppose it's true. And he says, I don't know what happened. Somewhere in the busyness of life, my job, raising kids, things we've gone through, and and it's a home and different things. He said, I don't know, it just left. But here's what they would say. And when we would talk with them, and you ask them, you ask, of course, the wife wants it back, but you ask the guy, and he'd say, I miss it. I miss our relationship. I miss the, the passion of it. And when we say passion, that's not the heat of lustful desire. I'm talking about a love that is stronger than just being together. It, It's something you feel. I've always told Denise, I said, I literally feel like I can taste you, you know, your love inside. But it's not just about a wife, you know, or a relationship with a husband. It is literally about life. And when we lose a passion for living, then we're on our way to dying. We've got to have a passion. Passion is a powerful principle but passion must be directed in the right direction. Wrong passions will erode away our lives and they will destroy everything we have and all that we are. Every evil in this world today, everything you could think about, any kind of wrong thing at the bottom of it, it is, or at the base of it, it is fueled by wrong passions. All of the wrong things that happen, they're fueled by wrong passions, by you know, people or circumstances taking advantage of the fleshly or weak passions of humanity and feeding on them and, and catering to them and destroying the lives of people. All of the evils in our world are because of wrong passions, but every right... That has ever wronged I mean every right wrong that is made right, every wrong that is made right it is because of passion. every good that has ever been done in this world was done by somebody with a passion. Now, I wanted to open a, uh, the message with a scene from a movie that I love. Uh, it's called Hotel Rwanda. It's a true story. I happened to have been over, not in Rwanda when that was taking place, but in Kenya, ministering and doing, I was spending several weeks over there at a period of time, not during the whole thing, but during a part of that time. And so I was very familiar with what was going on in Rwanda and with Hotel Rwanda and uh, Paul, uh, let's see, his name is uh, uh, Rusis, Bagnia, I believe I can't pronounce his name exactly, an African brother that owned a hotel called the Sabina or Sabri- Sabina Hotel, I believe it was, there in Rwanda. But there's a scene in the movie that is so powerful and and really speaks to what I'm talking about. And this is during the time when the Hutus and Hutus and the Tuts, Tutsis were at war with one another, and they were trying to do what you call genocide, where one Uh, uh, tribe will kill everyone in the other tribe and uh, Paul was a Hutu and his wife was a Tutsi and the Hutus were uh, going through the land there and killing every one of the Tutsi tribe they could find just mass murders I mean they would go in and kill men women and children and whole villages were uh, annihilated and Paul and his—he had to get his family out because his wife was a Tutsi, and therefore they would kill his wife and his children. And they would let him live, but they would kill his wife and children. So he was going to evacuate, and they were loading up the uh, 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 the guys. Uh, United Nations forces were there to get them out. They won't fight, but they will help. People escape, and so they were there to uh, evacuate all of the the uh, Tutsis to get them out of the country as many as they could to save them. And so they were evacuating, and he and his, his family got his family loaded in the back of this military truck. And he looks over at all of the people that worked for him, who were Tutsis. They were all work. They had been there working at that hotel. And Paul knew what was going to happen. That if he left, they would be slaughtered. And he looks at him, and he whispers something in this guy's ear that's sitting in the back of the truck. And he tells him, I can't go. Take care of my family. And his, when he closes the back of the truck, the, the, the half, you know, the little thing there, tailgate, his wife starts screaming. And say, no, no. And he looks at her and he says, I cannot leave these people to die. You ought to watch the movie. It's a true story. and I mean, the horrendous things that happened and what Paul did was very heroic. If you've ever seen the movie Schindler's List, it's called the African Schindler's List. It's a true story. And Paul did, he was just a great man. But the reason Paul did what he did, what made him great, he was just a hotel owner. But in a moment, he made a decision based on a right passion. Without passion, Paul would not have done that. Without passion, he would have gotten into the truck and escaped and gotten news later about all the people that were killed. But passion drove him even at the danger of losing his own life. Passion drove him to do the right thing. The enemy knows quite well how powerful passion is. He knows this, that what I'm teaching you will not change your life. All it does is give you information that you can do something with if you have enough passion to do something with it. I was watching an old Western the other day and... uh, Not all of my messages, but my messages don't come from movies, but I do watch them. I enjoy the communication and the sometimes, you know, not everything is good, but I was watching this old Western, you know, and it's it's good to see people riding horses and stuff and shooting bad guys. I like that. And anyway, this young cowboy was speaking to this older uh, uh, marshal, and it was about this fellow that was coming to town that was out, had been a really bad outlaw. And they had known each other in younger days. And, and the young cowboy said to the older Marsha, he said, well, maybe he's changed. And the old cowboy looked at him and he said, people don't change. Times do, but people don't. I thought to myself how sad that yet true that is to such a degree. And I find that even in the church. Because people come to church and they think because they hear something and because they've learned something that their life will be different. But you see, knowledge is only potential. You can gain all the information in the world, but it's only potential until you engage it with some passion. And until some kind of passion grabs a hold of your life to where that you begin to use that knowledge, only then does change happen. And the trouble with most people in the church is there's not enough passion from the pulpit or their lives and in their going on in their life with the Lord to cause them to engage the knowledge they have and make a change with their life. I dare say, if the Christians in America began to use what they already know, we would change our nation and this world. But the problem is, nobody has a passion. It's hard to find anybody that's passionate about the right things. Now listen to me. You are a person of passion. And if you don't engage the right passions, the enemy will engage the wrong ones in your life. The Bible talks about a time when David... Was standing on his rooftop, looking over all of the land and all that you know, Jerusalem, there, the city of David, and all that he had accomplished. And the Bible makes a statement that oh, I love this. Uh, to me, it's a cautionary verse. It says, "In a time, in the time when kings went to war, David stayed at home." You know, to go to war, there has to be some passion, doesn't there? I mean, there's who wants to go out and fight? If you have no passion, don't go. If you don't want to get in the fight, don't go get into the fight. You know, because kings would go to war. But David decided, oh, I've gotten enough. This is good. I'm going to sit back and relax. And it's a caution to me in my life. Because all of a sudden, when David lost his passion for the right thing, passion for the wrong came. And there was Bathsheba, uh, or not, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, who was her name? Bathsheba, was it Okay, yeah. That makes sense because she was taking a bath. (laughs) There she was bathing on the rooftop and he saw her. And all of a sudden, when he was not engaging the right passion, the wrong passion took over. And he committed adultery. It cost him, he killed a man and it cost him his own son. The life of his son. See, my friend, listen. You cannot live a life without passion. You're either gonna have passion in the right direction for the right things and for what God means for us to have, or we're gonna have passion for the wrong things, and all of a sudden, we're gonna spend our life fighting wrong passions. Here's the thing that I see in the church. So much of the church is fighting the devil when they need to be out conquering the territory. They're fighting, trying to win the battle in their own life when we should be fighting and winning the battle for the world and the kingdom of god but we're so into ourselves and so locked into our own struggles because we've never allowed ourselves to be consumed with the passion of god the only diff- only way we can ever make a difference in our life and through our life to this world around us is that we are passionate about something. Until we find a passion that drives us, we'll never fulfill any purpose we have. Uh, I think of you, Tasha, I'm so proud of you and all the things you're doing with that Don't Limit Me and your, your website and your life coaching and your books you're writing and the conferences you're doing. But what I see in you, there's a passion about it. And because of that, you're outside of yourself changing others. But you see, without that, you'd still be dealing with Tasha. Working on Tasha. Here's the thing. Christians spend their whole life working on themselves. Yet the Bible says it is God who works in you to willing to do of his good pleasure. My friend, years ago God told me this. I was praying about me and spending all my time praying about me. And God said this. He said, son... I'm working in you. He said, Trust me. Now go do something and let me work through you to touch others. And I said this to the Lord. I was a young minister. I said, All right, I'm trusting you to work in Steve Vickers, and I give you Steve Vickers' body to work for you, for others. My friend, that's true for anybody. Bible says there are three areas of our life that provide fertile soil for the wrong passions to grow and thrive the Bible says that it is the lust of the flesh cravings compelling desires of the flesh of the eyes and of our own pride me what about me why did this happen to me isn't there something for me what's in it for me that's the pride of life. Me. Why did they get it? Why didn't I get the promotion? Why didn't I get the raise? Why didn't I get selected? The pride of life. A wife looks at the husband. A husband looks at the wife and says, you know, maybe the wife is going through something. You know, something's happening with the kids. And he says, what about me? You don't get me any time." And she looks at him and says, this is not about you. See, that's the way so many of us are. And I think God wants to tell us a lots of times in our life when we're all praying about me and worried about me and thinking about me and living for me God wants to say to us this is not about you and we talk about church I don't like this I don't like that I want to go this how about that and the Bible says that in the last days ministers will begin to preach messages to people who have itching ears or say teach me what I want to hear And Paul said that would be a sign of the last days. See, what it is, is when we don't have a right passion in the right direction, those three things, those three areas in our life begin to take over. I'm tired of hearing of pastors or ministers that are in bed with another woman or with a man. I'm tired of hearing about... I'm tired of the divorce rate in the church exceeding the divorce rate in the bars. Did you know that's the truth? Statistics today say you have a better chance spending your Sunday afternoon in a bar than in a service if you want your marriage to work. That's sad. It's sad. But why is it? Because we've lost our passion, our purpose. We may may say we love God, but without a passion, we're not going to do anything. And without the right passion, the wrong passions are going to grow and develop. And before we know it, we're looking at the wrong places, satisfying wrong desires, and living for ourselves. Now, the Bible is very direct and gives a real short answer about how we're to deal with these things. And it says this, and I love it. It says, give them no place. Would you expound on that, God? No. (laughs) Well, what do you mean? Exactly what I said. Give no place to your, don't give any place to your flesh. You know, that's the importance uh, or that's why things such as prayer, devotional time, fasting, tithing your money. Did you know that tithing your money, becoming a giver? When you don't tithe, that's the reason you don't give to God is because you're still ruled by your own passions. It is. Because when I... That's one thing. See, I wanted God. When I got saved, you got to understand, see, I wasn't raised in church. When I got saved out of the world, out of sin... I got saved out of a sinful life, and I knew I was sinful. When I got saved, I was well aware of what Steve Vickers could do himself. And I didn't want me to go. I did not want to go back. I didn't want to go to church, but live like I didn't want to act like a, say I was going to heaven, but live like hell. Because I'd done that for so many years, not go to church, but live for the enemy. And so when I got saved, I wanted so God, or so much for God to strip out everything and to cleanse everything and, and help me to change. And one of the things that God talked to me, he told me about several things. One is he said, you read my word every day. Read it every day. And he said, talk to me every day. And he said, be honest. And another thing I knew, God didn't, he didn't speak this to me, but I knew, get in church. I was in church every time the doors open. If they had a ladies' meeting, I'd go, just go stand in the building. You laugh. I did because I knew. See, something happened to me when I was there. And when I was there in that building, I felt an atmosphere. Now, the church isn't church. The building isn't. The people are. But I felt a residue of the presence of God. And so I would go. And like if I was really in a struggle with some kind of old thing in my life because, see, I'd just gotten saved, I would go and hang out around the church building. Even if it was locked, I'd just go sit on the steps or something. And I'd pray and read my Bible. And there was something about the church, the Word, and prayer. But then God, but he also told me, he said, I want you to take time to fast. And I, fa- I would fast every week. Now I'm not saying that for myself. I'm saying I did. I'd fast like one day a week. And sometimes I'd fast multiple days. So I, was, I would fast a lot. And you can tell. Anyway. Yeah. Who said that? Uh, I would fast. But you know what I was doing? I was denying my flesh to give myself to God. And then God told me, he said, I want you to take, a, give me a tithe. I had to find out what a tithe was. I found it was one-tenth of my income. And I couldn't afford to give God one percent of my income. Because there was, there was month left over, bills left over at the end of the money. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The month kept going and the bills kept being owed, and the money was gone. And God said, "I want a tenth of it." And I said, "There's no way." But I said, "No matter, because of your word, I'm going to. I will obey you." Even and I told God, I said, "If I go hungry and starve, and we lose everything, and Denise divorces me because I'm getting leading us into being broke, I said, I don't care. I'll obey you." But you know what? When I did, all of a sudden, something happened. But you see, all of those things were denying the flesh of myself so God could take over. And you see, you can't have a right passion when you have a wrong passion. You can't serve two masters. You're going to serve one or the other. Now, let me tell you what passion looks like. You and I were made for right passion. You were made for passion. Passion is not wrong. Passion is not wrong. I'm sorry. I hate to see that the church, so much of the church today wants a church without passion. They want a service with no passion. They, You know, don't get passionate. Be conversational. Just talk to me. Well, I understand that. And I'm talking to you. But sometimes the things I'm talking to you about and how real they are and how important they are and how I see that if you don't hear me, I'm sorry if I get a little passionate because it matters too much. So, I want to show you what right passion looks like. I want to give you an example of right passion. For God so loved the world for God so loved the world that he gave that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life I want to show you what right passion looks like. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. I want to show you what right passion looks like. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, when you read the Bible, when I pick up this book and I read... From Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, I'm reading a book that literally drips with passion. No perverted uh, movie director ever came up with some pornographic or passionate plot that is more passionate but for the right things than the Word of God. Here we see a passion that is not wasted to own self and degenerate the soul of man and the life of man. But here we find a passion that awakens man to the reality and the purpose and the purity and the possibility of life in God and the potential that God has given to every person. Here we find the passion of a God who loves us beyond anything we will ever be able to comprehend. Even throughout the eternities of heaven, we will still be grasping and learning of his great love. The life of Jesus Christ, you look at Jesus, his life as a picture of passion. Why did he heal the sick? Because passion drove him that he was saying, this is not right. It is not my father's will that you be bound with sickness. When he cast the devil out, he was saying, man does not belong to the devil. He's the property of God. When he raised the dead, when he raised the dead, he was saying, death, you will be conquered totally one day. You're an enemy of God. We hate you. And this is not man's destiny. There was a passion in him. My cry is, where is it in the church? Where is that passion that moved God to give his son? Where is that passion that moved the son of God to lay down his life on a cross? But I think about others. There's so many others. I mentioned Paul, the, the guy that owned Sabrina Hotel there in Rwanda. But what about Mother Teresa? You know the sad thing, Mother Teresa and, and, and Princess died died the same time frame and one was celebrated by kings and queens and dignitaries all over the world and it was a big big thing and princess die I mean that's fine but there was a woman that died that nobody celebrated nobody celebrated her life very meager it was not hardly it just mentioned in the news and mother Teresa died as if it was nothing yet her life was poured out While one lived in regally and royally and all that and all the attention was on herself. The other one poured her life out for little street children there in Calcutta, India. Pouring herself out, ministering to them and ministering to the people that had the... uh, um, Oh, my mind just went blank. uh, All of the diseases. Pouring her life out for them. I think about Dr. Martin Luther King. Who could have carried on as a Baptist pastor here in Montgomery and not gotten involved and not, not rocked the boat and, and just not, you know... Don't stand up and rock the boat and just go on and climb the ladder in the Baptist church and eventually probably would have been, you know, been elevated to a much larger church maybe in Atlanta or Birmingham or or in Charlotte or somewhere and then eventually become a a dignitary in the administration uh, of the Baptist uh, conference. But passion would not allow him... He knew what he was sacrificing. He knew the price he was paying. He knew his life was on the line and he would probably have to give his life. But passion drove him to do something. And I'm going to tell you what, we all owe him a debt of gratitude. But I'm going to tell you what, now there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of others around the world that are doing it right now that have and are. What about us? They didn't do it for fame or glory or fortune. But they did it because a passion inside them would not let them sit by and do nothing. See, sometime, somebody has got to have enough passion that they say, I can't get on the truck. I have to stay here for them. I can't do it. Ed and Bunny, I think of you guys. And you had that land and you got all the beautiful property and everything. But you've poured your life out for young ladies. You have. You're like Jesus. What you're doing. It's not for you guys. While you're at a place where most people will be retired, enjoying life, sitting back drinking sweet tea on your porch. But you can't. (laughs) Well... (laughs) because a passion drives you. See, you think, you look at people like Ed and Bunny and Dr. King and Mother Teresa and others that are lay, have laid their lives down and are laying their lives down and you think, oh God, I feel sorry for them. Bless their hearts. My friend, the truth is, we're the people that should be felt sorry for. If we're living for ourselves, if our life is wrapped up in our own problems, let me tell you what, if you're waiting until your problems are solved, go ahead, plan your funeral, because that's the next great thing in your life. Because you're going to have problems to the last day you breathe. And if problems and circumstances and people's opinion is going to drive you, then I'm going to tell you what, you need to go ahead and just tell life, take me where you want to go, and the quicker I die, the better. Because life is not without problems. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now, here's what I found. You got to be with him doing what he's doing, going where he's going. You got to be in his boat that's going somewhere that is moving against the current. Or you can say you're a Christian, but you're in the wrong boat. And your life is consumed with your own circumstances, your own life. Listen, i found doing right things is not because you can suddenly get rid of all the problems. You do right things in the midst of all your problems. All Listen, everything God ever has asked me to do, everything he's ever asked me to do, and I'm not saying ask me right now anything, but uh, I'm just telling God that for just a moment. <laughs> uh, but everything he's ever asked me to do, and the reason I say that because the things he's asked me to do right now seem almost overwhelming at times. But everything God's ever asked me to do, here, I told somebody this the other day. I said, you know what? I was sitting with a businessman, and we, we're talking about a venture to help kids across the state of Alabama who are terminally ill, whose parents have no ability to take care of them. Whose parents have no ability if they're children, because they will all wind up at UAB. When you're terminally ill in Alabama, if you're a child, you go to UAB. No matter where you're from in Alabama, you're going to go there. And many times their parents, see some of them are so poor, they can't go up there with their little child and sit and hold their little hand while they're breathing their last breath. And so he's a wealthy businessman and we sat there talking about what we can do to change, to provide a way where their expenses are paid. And we will even pay for the funeral and help them to where they can be with their children. Yes, we will believe for healing. Yes, But sometimes the child goes. And what are we going to do? And so we're going to do something. And I sat there and he said, will you help me? And I told him, I said, you know what? I said, you did something now. Because I said, every time God asks me to do something, I don't have the time. I don't have the knowledge. And I don't have the money. And I can tell God 10 people, Within 10 seconds, they can do it better than me. And I said, that is true for everything God's ever said to me. And I said, and it's true right now, so I have to say, yes, I'll help. Because I don't know how. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. And I have no help. But somehow we will. And so we're working on it. We're working on it. And you'll hear about it in the days to come. All right? All right. My friend, why not you? Why not you? Why don't you ask God? Listen, I prayed a dangerous prayer at a time in my life. And I knew it was, but I said, God, I give my life totally to your will. Whatever you want, I am yours I am not my own. You bought me with the blood of your son. Now you got me. And I will not live for me. I will live for you. And you know what? When you do that, God takes you up on it. And God will knock on your door. And God will bring an opportunity to you. All of a sudden, you'll see a need. All of a sudden, you'll see a situation. All of a sudden, you'll find something that you need to do something about. And the dangerous thing is if we walk on by, like the people walking by, the man uh, on, the road to, uh, on the roadside there, you remember when the Good Samaritan came by? The man that was lying there bleeding and dying? And it was preachers and religious folk that walked on by. They didn't have time. The preacher was probably on the way to the service. Religious folk were on their way to their church service. But you see, we've got to be, if we pray a prayer like that, we've got to be willing to look at those in need and do what we can and say, I'm not going to walk by this. I'm not going to sit by while this goes on. I'm going to do something. Now listen, you say, but I've got so much responsibility. I've got my life and I'm trying to get my life together and I can't pay my bills and all of this. Then you're the perfect person. Because here's what I've found. It's usually people that can't that God says, I need you. Because the ones that can usually don't. Let me close, believe it or not. I want to share something with you. Over three billion. I can't wrap my mind around that. I can't. I'm sorry. I just can't. It's a big number. I know that. Over three billion people have never even heard of Jesus Christ. Never heard. 1.2 billion people in the world live on less than a dollar twenty-five per day. Listen, when I found out that pastors in the villages there in the region of Africa where we've got a footprint were living on less than 75 cents a day. They were literally starving, and I went and I saw where they were. I could not sit by and do nothing. I could not go into my home that has central heat and central air, lay down in a comfortable bed and go sit at a table and eat food that I had the money to buy and could fill myself and actually have to scrape some off and throw away. I could not do it. I couldn't get a car and go and pump gas in that car and fill it up and not have to worry about paying for it. I couldn't do it. I had to do something. I would be, I felt I would be judged. I would be guilty if I didn't. So we created a little fund where we, they, we give them a loan, a micro loan for $140. They present a business plan that they're going to start a for profit business. Now, listen to me a for profit business. I put $3,000 into that thing. No big deal. 3000 just started with $3,000. And we started that. And we gave out all that money. And here's what they had to do. They had to have a business plan. They had to report every week and make a payment back. It was a loan. It was not a gift because you don't, you don't want to give a man a fish. You want to teach him how to fish. You want to empower people, not subdue people to you being their source. You, and you need to get, create dignity in people, not make them subservient and dependent on you. That's wrong. That's the new American slavery. And America's got to get out of slavery. But we empowered them. And we give them $140 on it. Every week they meet and they come and they give uh, the little money back. And then they have six months to pay it back. Everyone so far has paid it back within... Three months at the most, most have paid it back within one month one like for one pastor, he started a piggery. Do you here you got the, they didn't have home or anything he's got, got a home he's got a vehicle he's able to supply his family, support them every over there, you pay for the kids to go to school their public school. When your kids go to public school, they have to go to public school or they go to private school. But if they go to public school, you pay just like you do at private school. There is no free school. And so that's one of the biggest expenses they have is to pay for their kids to go to school. And if their kids don't go to school, you don't, they don't have a chance. Now listen, I put $3,000 in that thing. Did you know that $3,000 has grown? Because we charge them a little percentage. And we have pastors standing in line to sign up to start a business and to get out of poverty. And they're crying out for it. Uh, I'm telling you, there's, you know, that was just one little thing. Denise and I were over there and we went to a village and they didn't have any, they drank water out of a mud hole. And their kids would come out with bloated bellies and die from waterborne diseases. Denise got back and she said, we're not going to sit here and drink purified water while those kids are drinking that. She said, we're going to do something. So HCI put in a well, cost $2,500, in an artesian well that every day is, water just comes out with it. It is beautiful now. They've got, it's concrete, got concrete benches there, beautiful uh, park area we created around the artesian well. And 500 families in this village, now have clean drinking water. It's helped to eradicate the diseases in their children. That was simple, wasn't it? All it took was somebody saying, I can't, I can't walk by this. Now church, listen. You may not be able to go there. Now we can help you through when you give to missions. When you give to missions, that's the things your money's doing. Your money is not sitting here just playing around. Your money does something over there. But also, we take a third of our money and we're doing things here in Montgomery. Right here, to change the city, to help make a difference in the city. You got Aida Harris right up there that has ECHO for little kids after school program. There would be latchkey children and she helps provide for them. Listen to this. 1.5 million children die each year due to hunger. 33% of the world, one third of the world, right now is starving to death. I'm gonna take this couple to lunch. We're gonna sit down, we're gonna have more than we can eat. One third are starving to death. We can't, does God mean for us to starve? No. But God doesn't mean for us to enjoy his prosperity, his blessing, or for us to be so tied up in what is going on in our life that we can't help someone else. Are you with me? 20,864 people today. On February the 23rd, 2014 today. 20,864 people People will die simply from starvation. The the Bible talks about the blood of people crying out before the throne of God, crying out. Over 70,000 people die every day who have never once heard of Jesus Christ. 70,000 people will die today that have never heard of it. I could stand here all day giving you statistics which were all true and everything. But you know, here's the thing. Statistics are not a call to action. No one stands up from the crowd listening to what I just said. Nobody stood up and said, enough. I cannot sit here in this service and do nothing while this is happening. I must do something. You know why that happens? Because There's passion. When there's passion, somebody, and that's what's going on in you right now. My friend, you and I can do something. We can do something and we're going to do something. This church has been through a dying experience and I am so glad. I am so glad because I want it reborn. Not that what was past was wrong, but I'm going to tell you what, just as a, you know, things in life have to go through, an eagle has to shed its feathers, a snake has to shed its skin. Things have to be reborn. When I was a kid raised on a farm, we had fruit, fruit trees, and my dad had this big old long pole, fishing pole, about 30 feet long. Big old cane pole. He'd get me out there, and I couldn't hardly do it, but he would teach me how to do it, and he would make me whip, or he'd tell me, I'd have to whip the fruit trees, and I'd beat the living fire out of them, you know, and I'd get out there, and I'd take that thing, just beat them, I'd say, why am I doing that? Dad said, because they'll grow richer fruit. I was talking to a man, uh, don't get me wrong, but anyway, he had a winery, and it was the ground's all dry and real rough and he said i said what is you know need some water no the tough ground creates the sweetest wine Out of our lives, the circumstances of our lives, the toughness we've been through, the things you've been through, I'll tell you what, if we'll give ourselves to God and engage with and become passionate about making a difference and let a right passion be born within our heart, we can make a difference. You say, but what could one person do? You've heard the story, but I like it. A man was walking along the seashore And a bunch of starfish had been washed ashore. And they were wiggling and dying because they needed to be back in the water. Hundreds of them, probably thousands, were all along the shore. He bent down, picked up one, and threw it in the water. Another man passing by said, that's a waste of time. You can't make a difference. The man looked at him and said, made a difference for that one. No, I can't change everything in the world. I can't feed every hunger. There will be, no matter what I do and what you do, there will be children that starve. No matter what we do, there will be people that will go to eternity without Jesus. No matter what we do, there will be wrongs here in the city of Montgomery. There will still be young men killing other young men but can we sit by because we can't stop at all? Can we sit by and not try to stop it at all? I say, how can we? We can't. We've got to make a difference. I got a call or a message on Facebook. A guy from India. Young pastor that's ministering up in the tribal regions to the people that have no water. They have no, they drink water literally out of pits. And most of them die. They don't live very long. And so he's up there preaching Jesus to them and ministering to them and they've been taking water in to try to help them out there's he's working in ten villages well he sends me a message on Facebook and introduces himself and he said Pastor Steve he said please help us I read that and I thought God no (laughs) what are you doing I've got so much but you know what I couldn't I was going to just kind of delete it but I couldn't You know what I mean, Debbie? As I started to delete it, I felt, how can I? I wanted to say, God, Holy Ghost, can you just look over there? Oh, it was nothing. I thought I saw something. But I knew God would see what I did. And I thought, how can I do this? How can I sit here in my office in a comfortable chair and just delete it? And so I messaged him back we started a conversation and so I called him the other day and he said, oh dad he's 23, 26 years old his dad was a pastor gave his life, died preaching and now he has nothing but he's out there preaching doing everything he can and he said, can I call you dad he said I just want to say, if there's anything you can do to help me, he said, please, help me help these people. And so, he's, I said, you send the information, give me all the... And so, I'm going to, of course, check things out and everything, you know. I follow through, I'm not new at this, it's not my first rodeo. But once I really run him through the approval process and recognize, if he checks out, That I'm going to do something. Because when God shows us a need. He means for us. To help meet it. In some way. When we walk by the people on the road of life. Beat up and bruised and broken. We've got to do something. Amen. My question is this, if not you, then who? Who? Tell me somebody. I sat there at that table with that businessman and he poured, began to tell his story to me of the need and present it to me. And he was looking across the table at me, asking for me to help him. And see, there was nobody else at that table I could say, how about you doing this? I was the one that had to make a decision. I want this church to make a difference in this city and in this world. But I'm not talking about it just being through the church. I'm talking about it being through you. As you're out there in the world as you're out there in life in this city in the surrounding region as you're seeing the needs you're bumping shoulders with people would you be willing to pray and say God I'm willing to be an instrument of your help and your love for hurting humanity father thank you for speaking to us And I pray, oh God, that you cause, that you arouse within Christian Life Church a right passion, God, a passion for your heart, for your things, for the things to help humanity. In the name of Jesus, ignite a passion within us. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, everyone in this room that says, here I am, God, I'm willing to be an instrument. If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet right where you are. Just stand to your feet. And this is between you and the Lord. Between you and God. I'm not talking about becoming an instrument to work in the church here. I'm talking about becoming an instrument in your life. Wherever you may be, whatever you may be doing. You may be visiting this Sunday and never be back. But see, God still knows your life. And he can use you. Would you pray a simple little prayer that is a scriptural prayer? And we're going to pray it together, but I want you to say it out loud. Say this, here I am, Lord. Send me. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com.